Hi, this is Richard Watts, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. And my first guest for the morning has joined me in the studio. As I mentioned at the start of the show, if you missed all of Melbourne Fringe this year because you were gadding about in Ireland, for example, he says, showing off, uh, or because perhaps you were just tied up and busy with other things, then do not despair because uh, Melbourne Fringe now have an all-round program. Simon Abrahams is the creative director and CEO at Melbourne Fringe. Simon... Are you now running the Fringe Festival all year round in your new home at Trades Hall or is something else happening? Good morning, Richard. I'm sort of thrilled that we're not running a festival year round. I do that 18 days a year and that is enough. Uh, But there are 49 other weeks in a year. So um, we're going to put together a a program of gigs all year. Uh, But it won't be the same as the Fringe Festival. We're focusing much more on um, contemporary music, one-off gigs, uh, rather than kind of seasons of work, kind of shows that you might go and catch a whole kind of dance piece or something. We'll save those sort of things for the festival. So this is a program of, uh, yeah, one-off one off gigs. So are we talking about seven nights a week here or what's the plan for common rooms, as it's called? Yeah, that's right. So we've taken over... Uh, a space at uh, Trades Hall uh, upstairs. Some people might know it. Uh, it used to be called the Bella Union back in the day. It's now called Common Rooms and uh, it will be um, a venue that will be open uh, all year and, yeah, six, seven nights a week. We'll have gigs that you can come and see. Uh, you can put on your own event there, uh, come and have a party and it uh, all kicks off uh, on the 8th of November with the return of Mr McClellan's Finishing School which is, uh, of course, uh, a legendary event that um, has been at Trades Hall for many, many years uh, since the Bella Union Co. closed. It's been dotting around town and we're pretty excited to have them back. So how is the nights that you're going to be programming and running going to be any different from, say, uh, gigs that already happen all around Melbourne? What's the kind of fringe flavour to it? Yeah, I guess a great question. I guess it's about representing the spirit of the festival. So all those things that we kind of represent, the kind of rebellion, the um, the inclusivity um, supporting the independent arts community. So it's got a, a range of events. Um, so, for example, things like Betty Grumble is coming to do an event called Grumble and Friends, which will be uh, – so Betty Grumble, for those who don't know, is uh, an amazing sex clown, um, uh, cabaret performer, uh, gender, uh, uh, amazing um, illusionist, um, amongst other things. She's, she's pretty amazing. Um, so Betty Grumble will do a big party. So not one of her shows. But instead, with the dollar bin darlings, we'll come and do a big kind of dance party, participate, participatory event, big performances, those sorts of things. So we want to create a, a social space uh, where the arts community can come or people that just uh, want to have a great night can come and enjoy a show or have a dance. Now, I've also heard something about uh, an opportunity for playwrights, which is connected with the new fringe space common rooms at Trades Hall. What's that about? That's a, a commission or a prize? Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So uh, we've, we're commissioning a new a new work, a new play um, that will premiere at Melbourne Fringe 
um, in October 2020. Uh, and there'll be an artist in residence at Common Rooms. So we're calling them the Common Rooms Writer in Residence. I think it's an ingenious name. Call a spade a spade. And uh, it's $15,000 um, for a writer to uh, write a new play um, that's designed specifically for Trades Hall. So responding to the building, to its history, maybe with the themes of rebellion, solidarity, unity, protest, things that that building represents um, to, but, to make a new work. But not necessarily constrained by Trades Hall either. It doesn't have to be set in Trades Hall, for example. It can be inspired by, as you say, the history, the, 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 the physicality, the reputation, the, the the history and politics of the building exactly yeah. totally and and take that in a really broad sense to um yeah to, to create a new play that will uh, they'll be in residence so they'll have space um to create the work during the year and then it will premiere in October 2020. Are there any restrictions on who can apply as playwrights? Could, could an established playwright like Patricia Cornelius apply, for example? Or are you looking for emerging playwrights in the first seven years of their practice? Yeah, we're looking for an emerging playwright. We've said that they can be uh, self-identified as emerging. And the particular funder um, who gave us the, the money, which is the Malcolm Robertson Foundation, bless them, the funder said to us, oh, Look, you can define emerging how you like, but let's just say if they've had a play at the Malthouse or the MTC, they're probably not emerging. So I thought that was a very fair and broad definition and uh, we're, we're going with that as well. <laughs> now, one of the things that having looked through some of the programming at Common Rooms, uh, works that were on as part of Fringe, for example, are, are coming back and having uh, a return season. So Selena Jenkins, who won uh, Fringe, Melbourne Fringe Awards for Best Cabaret and Best Feminist Work, her work Boobs is coming back and I'm hearing it may have already sold out. I believe it has sold out. Yeah, you've got to, you've got to get in quick. Um, you never know. There might be uh, some tickets at the door or more released, but at this stage, that show sold out. Scout Boxel, um, uh, uh, they're uh, an amazing uh, emerging comedian who also was a, a hit of the festival um, uh, with the show Good Egg has just announced a show uh, as well. That'll happen uh, on the 20th of November. So there are a few fringe favourites coming back. Marie's Crisis, which was one of the hits of the 2018 festival, uh, has come back as well in, in 2019 uh, to open the Common Room season as well. And looking at some of the other gigs that are coming up, Women of Soul on the 14th of November, Melbourne Music Week taking over the venue from the 21st of November uh, and the, the crew from Mess, including Robin Fox and Byron Scullin, doing some programming work there. And Playlist, which Red Stitch uh, Actors Theatre put on every year, uh, kind of series of short works, short plays, and often a fundraiser for Red Stitch as well. It is, yeah. So um, it pairs, uh, for those who've never been to a playlist, it is an annual tradition and it, and it pairs um, independent theatre uh, with contemporary music. So little playlets, little short five, ten-minute plays paired with a, a musician, um, sometimes some pretty amazing famous ones, um, and they create a, a very short piece together. So um, that'll be happening all over the Trades Hall building and there'll be opportunities to see all sorts of spaces that you may never have, never have seen before. So that's Playlist. So the Common Rooms program, which Melbourne Fringe is now curating and presenting year-round, it really is then an encapsulation of the creative spirit of Fringe, but stretched out across the year. And as you've said, it's, it's not specifically... A so instead, it's not a festival. So it won't be one artist performing every Thursday night for 10 weeks or something. It's a lot of one-off gigs. That's, that's it. And 
Um, for those who came along to Trades Hall during the festival, we had 44 shows um, every night in that building, every single night. Um, there'll be one a night um, this, you know, the rest of the year. So it's definitely not um, not the festival very deliberately. Um, it will have its own spirit and it's a chance to come along and, as you say, you know, experience maybe a bit of the spirit of the festival. I, I think because it's a bar, um, I'm calling it, it's like liquid fringe. You know, you can drink up the spirit of fringe, but it's not exactly fringe in the form that you might know it. And you can also drink responsibly. Yes, you of can. Course. Yes. So uh, for more info, www.commonrooms.com.au. When does it all kick off? It all kicks off, it all kicks off on the 8th of November. Uh, again, with it, there's a finishing school that night, also sold out, um, but, pl- but they'll be back every fortnight into eternity. So for those who love finishing school, they can come back every second Friday uh, from the 8th of November. Uh, Trades Hall on the corner of Ligon and Victoria Streets, Carlton. We also mentioned the Playwrights Commission. Details of that are on the the, uh, commonrooms.com.au website as well. That's right. Looking forward to seeing who is selected and looking forward to seeing their work next year at Melbourne Fringe. Simon Abrahams is the Creative Director and CEO of Melbourne Fringe and joined us to talk about Common Rooms running from uh, November uh, in Trades Hall, in uh, the, the upstairs bar space uh, on the corner of Ligon and Victoria Street, www.commonrooms.com.au for details. Simon, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks, Richard. See you there. I look forward to it. Triple R. I'd like to say a very good morning to my next guest, Rebecca Lister, joins us in the studio. Rebecca's a playwright, a director, a performer and a producer uh, and is here to talk to us about her play 2.20am, which is having uh, a Victorian tour, both regional and metropolitan. Rebecca, welcome to Triple R. Thanks, Richard. Great to be here. Lovely to have you in. Now, this is a relatively hard-hitting play, which based mm. on and inspired by a true event, I understand. Mm, mm. Well, yes, the play is actually about suicide, but it's not. It's about the the aftermath of suicide rather than specifically analysing suicide as such. And yeah, it's based on a variety of of uh, real stories. So, for uh, a number of years, I was a guest artist for a postvention organisation called Support After Suicide, and I ran a whole series of writing workshops for people who'd been bereaved by suicide. And we did we produced a number of creative anthologies of work, and we did a show at La Mama, and then another show at Fitzroy Town Hall, etc. They were great, and we thought um, you know it'd be great to tour something to get a, a piece of work together to tour and. We wanted to have that work for a professional cast because you can't ask community members to, you know, to be touring a work. They don't have the, the well, they've got other lives and they also don't have the, you know, the expertise as actors. Uh, so we applied for funding and got money to uh, write this play. And for the play, I did about 10 interviews with people who'd been bereaved by suicide. And, and I also have a, a family experience. So I had a, my eldest brother suicided many years ago, 25 years ago. But, uh, you know, that's an experience that obviously has, you know, informed, informed the work. Yeah, informed the work. So the work takes place actually in a writer's studio, in a writer's class. So I've really mined that lived experience of being a tutor of numerous writers' classes and uh, and use that as a as a kind of like as a framework for the story. Yeah. So creating drama uh, about such a subject uh, obviously must be intimidating on one level because you don't want to hurt an audience mm. by by being too raw or too bare. But at the same time, dramatically, you don't want to shy away from what. 
could be kind of um, potent and powerful material. That must be a bit of a juggling act in terms of the writing of the play itself. Yeah, it is a juggling act uh, because you want to make sure that you're not causing any harm, but you also want to make sure that you're doing what the work, that you're actually um, brave enough to do what the work needs to do, which is, you know, start the conversation, continue the conversation about suicide. Um, so, and also you're looking for a piece of work that holds up on stage that's got a beginning, a middle and an end and has a bit of drama in it where you care about the characters, you want to care about their, you know, their emotional arc and their, the, the, you know, the arc of the, the overall play, etc. Um, I've been very lucky with this particular work in that um, I've also had um, professional assistance from uh, staff at Support After Suicide, so I've worked very closely with, with staff there. And also had a really good uh, dramaturg, Mari Lowry, so together we sculpted the work and... Um, in my other working life, when I'm not working in the arts, I'm actually a social worker and I work in mental health. So I'm quite familiar with, with working in that sector and I have worked, you know, in and out of that sector for many years. I think actually when I first met you, I was at the Art for Dodgers studios and yeah. working there and you came and did some work for us there. So I'm very familiar with how to work with people and how to run groups. My area of expertise is group work. So I've actually used the formation, how groups operate. I've used that as the structure of the play. So, Which is a great – I was thinking that's a, a great mm, structure to have because yes. it, it gives you the opportunity to bring four very different characters together into a room mm. uh, and how do you kind of bring people from different walks of life who perhaps may not normally rub shoulders and find the creative friction that comes from that. You create uh, a situation where they have a shared experience and they're coming into – into a writer's workshop to workshop their their thoughts, their feelings and craft their own work mm. and build drama out of that. It's a, it's a, a, a really inspired idea mm. creatively but also uh, strikes me as a really, to, the, to call back to what I said earlier, a, a, uh, offers the possibility for really kind of potent, powerful, moving drama as well. It does because stages go through groups just like kind of relationships go through stages. Uh, groups also go through stages. So, you know, when people first get together they're a little bit shy and then they you know start to learn what's the culture of the group then often there's a bit of conflict and then they get on with the task of the group and then they say farewell groups don't normally last forever so I've used those stages of group development as the five acts of the play so it's a really nice uh, structure and and you're right the the, far, the four people who come together they represent different experiences and different uh, backstories but they've all been they've all got all got one thing in common in that they've all been bereaved by suicide. So the work is very much about that rather than we don't go into any analysis about why people suicide or um, how we could have stopped that. What we know is that when you're looking at postvention work, when you're talking about suicide, it does have an effect on decreasing suicide. So we're kind of using that as, a, as an overarching sort of statement, the statement being it's okay to talk about suicide, which is kind of one of the statements of support after suicide that they use. Um, but using that space, but also using the the technique of when people of when you're running writers groups, that the, the focus of the writers group is to um, assist people to to write um, more eloquently or to, to to develop skills. So often we'll say to people when they first start a writers group, people often have almost like an emotional vomit onto the page. They just get everything out, almost like diary writing. But then if you want other people to read that work and other people to feel and understand that work, you need to understand and, and learn about things like 
structure and craft and metaphor and simile and whether you're writing in first, second or third person or past, present or future tense, changing the, the, changing the gender of a character, moving outside of yourself, writing in the second person, writing in the third person. So the play looks in the play we say you know that the writers are there for to at a writer's workshop and the they're not at a therapeutic suicide bereavement group however what they want to write about is their lived experience so it's therapeutic in that sense so the pieces the creative pieces that the participants in the play write during the workshops that's how we learn about their story is through their creative writing so the, the story the the five times they meet at the writers' workshops, are punctuated by these moments where they share their creative writing and they're quite beautiful. So it might be a slam poem, a short story, a comic piece. Um, so that's what how we tell the story rather than a long kind of didactic and arduous thing about how I feel is. It's it's more creative and I like to think it's cleverer Well, than it that. certainly yeah. uh, pre- presents you as a, as a writer with a kind of a fabulous opportunity to write in different modes and, and idioms yeah. and styles while also telling a dramatic story and while also presenting the experiences of these kind of different characters as well. Yeah, yeah. And it also gives you a variety to have a whole uh, – to have a variety of, of levels and light and shade – Parts of it are very funny, parts of it are poignant, parts of it are sad, but it's not a didactic, belligerent, bang-you-over-the-head piece of work. There's no shouting. There's no shouting men. It's 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 more nuanced. So it's actually a piece of – the way we're also trying to sell the work is that it's, it's a piece of theatre. Theatre has been written about many things. There's not many topics that haven't been explored in some way in the art. So it's, you know, it's, it's not taboo in that sense. We're not kind of, you know, you know – touching on a subject that's never been touched on before. Many writers have written about suicide. This is just another way of, of touching on it. And because it's got this foundation of lived experience and true stories woven into it, it kind of gives this this very true visceral feel. Yeah. Now, it was staged at the Richmond Theatre at last year. So yeah. this show that's going on the road will then be kind of the, the honed, road-tested, tightened version. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> you're taking it both to uh, kind of... Uh, suburban venue, so in uh, Dandenong, Ringwood, um, Frankston, for example, and then also going out into regional Victoria to yes. places like uh, Kyneton, Mildura uh, and uh, Traralgon, for example, as well. Yeah. So uh, an opportunity for to, to take the work and to present it in front of a, a really kind of broad range of audiences, mm. I would imagine, rather than the, the more kind of traditional uh, kind of inner-city middle-class audience who uh, make, perhaps make up the bulk of theatre-goers. Mm, that's right, that's right. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. And that's one of the kind of the principles of Anvil Productions is to try and take work to people who may not normally be traditional theatre-goers. We've linked our tour to a, a very particular project, a very particular report that was re- released through DHHS about suicide in Victoria and uh, the PHN, the Primary Health Networks, have now got um, eight locations have been identified around Victoria which are high-risk areas for suicide. So we've linked and they're called, those projects are called Suicide Place-Based Projects, supported by the, uh, funded by the PHN, and we're touring to those sites. So we've been quite strategic in how we've chosen those locations. 
the difficult thing is that we're going, we're choosing, because the work takes place in a hall, we're choosing to go to kind of hall-style venues that have no infrastructure. So we're carting the whole, you know, kit and caboodle. So every, uh, our director, Hallie Shellam, is kind of going, oh, my goodness, every, every venue's different and every exit and entrance will be different. But we're, we're trying to shape the work so it sits quite... Authentically. Authentically. And it'll have a kind of a Brechtian feel, I suppose, where the audience will be very aware that they're the audience and the actors will be aware of the audience. So we're we're trying to kind of use that. But we're we're trying to make the space very comfortable. We know that people who've been bereaved by suicide often feel isolated. They feel uh, ashamed. They can feel guilt. They can feel as though they... Um, don't want to socialise, so we want to make the space welcoming. We serve, you know, tea and biscuits when people arrive and, you know, we make sure that we've got trained professionals with us. We don't, we don't do a whole lot of trigger warnings or any of that stuff. We're quite subtle and gentle in how we, you know, meet and greet, but I'm a big one for meet and greet. So we make sure we've got people who are able to make eye contact and welcome people to the space and make people feel comfortable um, and the play starts while the you know while the people are still seating themselves. So so we're, everyone's kind of aware that this is um, you know we're in a hall and this is what's going to happen right now. So it's kind of got a very nice um, relaxed feel to it. Well, given that suicide is uh, the leading cause of death for Australians aged fifteen to forty-four, and the second leading cause of death uh, for those aged forty-five to fifty-four, uh, it's clearly an important topic to be talking about and. Staging it as drama in halls, in uh, to give it that sense of kind of, uh, of uh, I don't know, to ultra realism, perhaps. Mm. Kind of, it seems like a very accessible, uh, supportive, and meaningful way to explore uh, kind of an important issue, which has. Uh, left survivors, as you said, feeling feeling isolated, feeling lonely, feeling ashamed. So, providing an opportunity for them to uh, to I, I guess just to, to an opportunity to open up something in their lives mm-hmm. so that they can mm-hmm. share that experience and then perhaps that could then lead them to to, to seek counselling, for example. That's right. And I think it's that case of recognising yourself in characters, recognising, oh, there's some of my emotions. I'm not alone. I felt like that. I thought like that. Those things happened to me. When I did the the interviews, people told me all sorts of things that happened when, you know, after they'd lost their loved one. And the different ways, you know, people tell you terrible stories about the way people respond, people ignoring you, people not rocking, you know, people not that. And it's not because people are inherently bad or or lacking in empathy. It's because we don't know what to do. After my brother died, I wrote a piece saying, you know, where are the casseroles? There were no casseroles. And I had very, you know, beautiful, warm, intelligent friends, but... It's a it's a difficult topic to broach, so finding these ways to, to broach it. We also do a post-show Q&A, so we have professionals from who are with us on the tour and also local professionals as well. So, And the Q&As when we did the uh, Richmond Theatre were really well attended. Some people just want to sit in the theatre afterwards and just breathe out yeah. and others want to you know, know about the writing of the work, share their own stories, talk to the actors. Yeah. The play that we're discussing uh, is Rebecca Lister's 2.20am, presented by Anvil Productions uh, uh, with a partnership with Jesuit Social Services, Support After Suicide and Sane Australia. Uh, it is being performed. There's a preview tomorrow night, Friday the 25th of October, at the Masonic Centre in Collingwood. Then after that, Thursday the 31st in Dandenong, Friday the 1st of November in Traralgon, Thursday the 7th of November in Swanpool, and then it goes on to Mildura, Ringwood, Thomastown, 
Frankston and Kyneton. For all the dates and venue details and to book, you can jump online, www.anvilproductions.com.au. That's anvil, A-N-V-I-L, productions.com.au for more information about 2.20am and its touring dates and details. But... uh, Tomorrow night, the 25th of October in Collingwood, Thursday, the 31st of October, Dandenong, and then onwards across the state into regional areas and back into dipping in and out of the suburbs as well. Uh, If any of the topics that have been broached in this conversation uh, have left you feeling uncomfortable or needing to talk to somebody, uh, I recommend Lifeline Australia 13 11 14 uh, as an organisation to contact. Uh, But I've been chatting with playwright Rebecca Lister about 2.20am. Rebecca, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Richard. Independent Melbourne Radio 3 Triple R. Speaking of theatre, wanted to talk now about two things, one of which is a new initiative by Arts Centre Melbourne, Future Echoes. It's a new annual festival of performance made by and with young artists and one of the shows being presented is being staged by Melbourne's First Nations theatre company, Ilbidgery. It's a play called Conversations with the Dead by Richard Franklin, and it's a, a response to Richard's role as an investigator during the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. I'm joined in the studio by Sharina Clanton, who's directing the work. Sharina, welcome. Thank you. Uh, and uh, one of the cast members, uh, Corey Saylor-Brunskill. Welcome, Corey. Thank you very much. So, Sharina, let's start with you. This is not only kind of um, an Ilbidgery production, but it's um, being staged by the Ilbidgery Ensemble as well. Can you tell us a little bit about the the Ensemble initiative? Well, I was brought on board probably later on in the in the year, and um, the core ensemble, um, as part of really the oldest uh, Indigenous theatre company in Australia, um, they established a workshop to for young and emerging First Nations artists. And every kind of second uh, Saturday, the whole group, it was open to inv- invitation to all the community to come in and start to kind of develop their skill set and acting and workshopping and working as an ensemble and working with various texts. And Natalie Dickinson, who actually led the group for three quarters of the year, had to leave because she was on tour. And so she, my name was brought forward and uh, Rachel was too busy to really create a divisive piece and devised piece and um, asked me to come on board to, hey, can you um, come in on this weekend and see how you go and um, would you be interested in directing? And I said, look, I've never directed anything in my life. I've come from a theatre background myself and worked in a capacity as an actor but certainly not as a director. And she said, that's okay. I think you've got the skill set and um, the capacity to do so and I'll mentor you. And that's how it came about, really. And we looked at various texts and we looked at um, what, what what is it that we're wanting to say? What is it that you guys want to say as, as uh, the youth demographic? And we were drawn towards death and custody because it's such a prevalent and prolific theme and something that we have, uh, have a lived-in experience with for, as Indigenous peoples and that affects us on various intermittent levels. And so, yeah, we came to the conclusion to do Conversations with the Dead, um, not the original version that was incredibly dense, and we decided to look at the Belvoir version that Wesley Enoch adapted. And then from that process, we then dramaturgically 
sewn back some of the original text back into this adaptation and then contemporised it in a way that was accessible and relatable to the to the youth. So there's a lot to unpack there, kind of uh, the the play itself, the development of it. But uh, Corey, let's, to tell us a little bit more about uh, the Obidri Ensemble, how you got involved, why you wanted to get involved, and what you're kind of getting out of being involved with the ensemble. Uh, so how I originally got involved was um, it was through suggestions through another young black actor who I met through um, the Indigenous Scholarship Program at MTC, and then from there they started going to the ensemble. And they told me to come in, told me it was every, at the time it was every second Sunday. And um, when I first went in there, I was excited because I love uh, working with young black actors and that. It's, um, it's kind of a new feeling for me, I guess, um, especially in Melbourne because like, we're jam-packed over here. Um, but working in the ensemble, for, for the most part, it's just helped ground me and reassure me uh, as my what I do uh, as passion. So I've always known that my career was I wanted to pursue acting, but I guess uh, a lot a lot of actors always like have this idea of stemming into film and that, which I do want to do, but Il Bidri uh, Theatre Ensemble has just given me and reassured me that, like, yeah, my, my desire to be able to do theatre for the rest of my life just for the craft of it. And um, the the feeling you get when you... Um, blend in with an ensemble and you really um, establish that kind of family connection and that's been very real for me uh, working with this group Sharina included Uh, it's just been yeah humbling and it's meant all of them mean a lot to me now so last night was very special so um, Sharina it must be really helpful as a director to come in uh, kind of with this mob who already know each other have been working together for a while know each other trust each other know each other's rhythms and styles as you said given that you haven't directed before instead of having to start cold uh, and build a family together out of a out of a cast for a show to already have them kind of in sync together Mm. I mean I my job was half done (laughs) (laughs) And usually if you have three elements, if you have a good script, you've got a good cast and um, good leadership, then if you've got three, two out of the three, then it's, it's a great recipe. If you get three out of three, that's a bonus. Um, so I, there, I very much on, on the early onset uh, requested a great strong support network so that we could hold space for them and then create uh, the platform and dynamicism that was needed to hold space for me as well in that in that um, arena. I I had uh, Daniel Riley, who's a producer at Obituary, uh, Rachel Mazza, Booney Miller, who's head of acting at VCA, come through, and really it, it was I I was able to call on the networks that I had and established in the in the industry to um, Annie Sherilyn Hood, who's the cultural consultant and and really helps ground and checks in in terms. Of the debrief processes because it's such heavily dense content and quite triggering subject matter. Uncle Richard himself coming through and doing a ceremony with the boys and 
I haven't done it on my own. So um, what was set in terms of a pathway into this space and into this world was very much um, held by other people holding open the door um, and also creating the opportunity to to succeed because we wanted them to succeed as much as we wanted this show and this play and what it had to say. So, um, you know, having people like Booty Miller or Daniel come in and do some choreography with them and or um, Uncle Richard just uh, reminding them of their own warriorness, of their own uh, ceremony, of their own strength and um, tenacity and resilience in politicising black st- bodies on the stage and being unapologetic in their space and power has been something that um, has been really rewarding to see. Now, in terms of the play itself, Conversations with the Dead is kind of it has a, a pretty powerful reputation. I haven't had the chance to see a live production of it before, so I'm really glad that the Ilbidri Ensemble is, is uh, performing it. Corey, how familiar were you with the play? Had you seen it before, read it before? Did you know of it by reputation, or was it new to you when it was introduced to the group? Um, so I will be honest that it was very new to me. Richard Franklin, uh, I'd heard of, um, but. All of his work, I only knew a couple of his songs and exposed to his music, I guess, but um, the play itself was very new, but also I think exactly what I've been looking for in a show that I, I want to work in. Um, something that is so, well, literally real and gritty. It's, it's always exciting to be able to get your hands on something like that. So it wasn't a bad thing that it was new for me, but it was very new, yeah. Yeah. Now, it's one of the... The, the part of the focus, I guess, is that it's about kind of uh, uh, a black man kind of trying to work within the contradictions of kind of black and white Australia. He's kind of familiar with both and kind of stuck in the middle to a, to a degree. Is that a fair way to kind of read the play? Yeah, I think there's multiple avenues you can look at it. I think it's a man who has become institutionalised, who thought he he could he was brave enough and strong enough to beat a system, a system that was invented for our demise and our failure and our incarceration. Um, considering the he was one of the key court officers in terms of um, that implemented the Royal Commission. And then to find out after the 339 recommendations that, I mean, the Australian Institute of Criminology would say otherwise, but at the same time, the deaths uh, um, continue to rise a staggering amount. And to find that these conversations are still prevalent and relevant today, 30 years later, and in fact, there seems to be less done in terms of what the accountability processes are within the judicial systems and those who are the uh, officers involved who have yet to be criminalised, who have yet to be um, put to justice in terms of negligence and the lack of accountability around various processes and policies and procedures that are imminent within our judicial system seems to be such a... um, It's frustrating, but it's a really great point of critical conversations and it's necessary in terms of unpacking, well, where is it that that these root causes lie and why is it that we continue to have these repetitious conversations 30 years later and how is it can we shift the paradigm so that it's it's working in favour for First Nations people and not against and we're not continuing to see a huge staggering rise in terms of incarceration rates, in terms of death rates, in terms of negligence itself. 
Corey, what are your kind of hopes for the production? What do you want it to achieve beyond it being uh, a vehicle uh, for self-expression for yourself and the other mm-hmm. cast members and an opportunity to kind of hone and craft your skills and, and stage the work itself? Do you What kind of thoughts or ideas or conversations do you hope it will inspire in the audiences who come to see it? Um, well, that's why this show has been, I guess, so important and I felt like it is a lot more like work more than any other show that I've done because it is such an important message but it is so the the text itself it's a tool that we need to use to expose people I guess and shine light on them so they can be aware of their own ignorance and come out of whatever mind state they're in which leads them to have these degrading thoughts about First Nations people there's a whole uh, monologue in it talking about um how many people in Australia are still dependent on their ignorance like to kind of give them this this safety blanket and that's what I think the the show is really important for to just so we can it's almost in a lot of it we're breaking the fourth wall and talking to them on a personal level so I think that's why that tool is really useful this this show has been really useful so we can actually have a conversation and that's what I'm hoping this will do when you say like what kind of conversations we had just ones where we can both listen to each other and both points are seen with uh, taking into consideration the other person's perspective. We just really need to have more yeah, understanding of each other's situations and not be so quick uh, to point fingers or say someone else is playing a victim or say someone else is being hateful. And that's why this show is really good because the, the man who wrote it, in his, or Richard, in, in the play itself... His character has a few moments moments of self reflection, especially um, mm. the scenes where he's like a bit violent, and then afterwards he kind of questions himself because he's not sure if that's the path that he wants to take in in the face of ignorance, like not to blow steam in the face of the beast, but instead I try show them understanding, and hopefully he will be returned. Um, and I think yeah, that's what this show has been great for. And I had some. Afterwards, after the show last night, I even had some like great conversations with my own mates, and that's, I think that's really important too. The the people you're surrounding yourself with um, on a near daily basis, like some of my best friends, it's good that we can then have conversations, which could be hard for them sometimes, given they're not First Nations, and I'm sure that some of the conversations that I want to have are confronting sometimes. So it's good to have something like this show, which we can really use to bridge this gap where they might, yeah, think that I'm being, like, overly upset about something that wouldn't affect them as much, but then this can really, like, yeah, sh- shine a light on that and give them a new a new narrative to understand, uh, kind of a vessel for them mm. to, I guess, yeah. It's, um, I think, Richard, one of the key things that Richard speaks about is old people give me the courage to speak with wisdom and the wisdom to speak with courage, give me the opportunity to change just one person, essentially, even if that person is me. He wrote this play, I think, evidently to destroy himself because it became famous and infamous about him being the death and custody man. And that wasn't the whole premise of what he did in terms of honouring the stories, honouring the dead. And these are really critical conversations or critical um, points that we can use and leverage to really unpack what is it, what is it that... Um, 
that we 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 need to reflect in our own selves. What do we need to um, create a dialogue about in our in our own communities, and how is it that we're creating spaces for healing and growth as a result of this pain and, and subject to trauma? But again, it's not all a basis and platform of trauma. There's incredible resilience. There's a he talks about being the spear point um, at, at some point in time, and we all got to take turns to do that. And he chose to be the spear point and the sacrifices that man made as a result of his. Mm-hmm his work and what we've benefited from as a result um, has been, you know, tremendous. So it's, it's um, you know, it's, a, it's, it's bigger than us and I think it then creates, um, it creates room for discourse um, and go, well, what is it that um, I, haven't, I haven't connected with you on a humanistic level? That's why it goes beyond just First Nations dialogue. It is actually about humanity itself and something that we can all connect and relate to at some point in time. Conversations with the Dead is presented by Ilbidgeri Theatre Company in association with Art Centre Melbourne, and it's performed by the Ilbidgeri Ensemble. Uh, it's on as part of Future Echoes uh, at the Art Centre, uh, which you can uh, read more about uh, at artcentremelbourne.com.au. Uh, it's on in the Fairfax studio at Art Centre Melbourne, uh, opened last night. It's running through until Saturday, this Saturday, the 26th of October at 6.30pm. So performances tonight, Friday night and Saturday at 6.30pm. You can jump online, www.artcentremelbourne.com.au or you can also uh, jump online and go till uh, go to ilbidgery.com.au for information and booking details. I strongly recommend people get along and see it. I haven't seen it myself. I'm very much looking forward to checking it out. Also, um, there's five double passes at the moment. If you email kendra at ilbidgery.com.au mm-hmm. um, and ask her in regards to that, yeah, five and double passes. Community out, tickets too, yeah. which are fourteen dollars. So it's it's affordable and accessible still. So if they use a code word ensemble, capital letters, and it's fourteen dollars when booking. Ooh, fantastic. So uh, as I said, uh, ilbidgery.com.au dot com dot au or au for more details. I've been talking with Sharina Clanton and Corey Saylor Brunskill. It's been a pleasure having you both in. Thank you. And uh, chokers for the rest of the run. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. 